Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that for every single one of us who is here today, you know exactly where we've been, you know where we are, you know where we need to be, and Lord, you were in all of those places. You don't just wait at the finish line and shout to us hoping that we get it right. You come and meet us in this place, Lord. You are still the Emmanuel who is God with us when we do not deserve it. And so we give you thanks and praise, God. Thank you for answering prayers just to, to help us to encounter you in this place this morning. We're so grateful. As we continue to worship by looking through your word, Lord, would you continue to speak that we might know you more. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And we all said, amen. 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 Well, welcome, church. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, listen, we have a lot going on as a congregation. It's a brand new year, and so new things are kicking up. One thing I do want to remind you of, uh, that starting this week is Double Oak University. Uh, some of you guys know what this is, but uh, for different seasons during the year, uh, we meet on Wednesday nights, uh, and we're going to be kicking that off this Wednesday night. Uh, and it's an opportunity for you to do two things. Number one, uh, it's a chance for you to come and have some fellowship. Uh, we put tables all around the room. We have a catered meal, so you can come in and uh, grab a meal, just like, scream off 280. Uh, come hang out and sit around with some folks, maybe that you know, maybe some new folks you're going to get to know. Uh, but you get to share a meal together and just have some fellowship, uh, which is always fun and encouraging. I always enjoy that. Uh, so we have that for uh, starting at 5, uh, 30, 545. Uh, that runs till 630. And then at 630, we have classes. So if you, even if you can't make dinner, you can come to our classes. Uh, and we've got classes for everybody. So we have uh, a programming that's going to be for our preschoolers. We've got our kids musical that's going on for our kids. Students are meeting during this time, so they have stuff. And then for us as adults, we have classes as well. And so you have uh, different classes. We'll have four-a-week uh, terms, two four-week terms. So you'll be able to come in and say, okay, this is the class uh, that I want to go to. Uh, there's all these different offerings. We actually have uh, things at the back uh, that'll kind of mark out for you exactly what these classes are. And so you can say, hey, this is the class I want. This is, the, this is a class on, on biblical development. It's really gonna help me grow in my faith or understand scripture. Hey, here's a class that's gonna help me on dealing with my, my anxious teen. You know, it's really gonna help me in my parenting. We've got more after that. There's all these different places you can say, hey, there's a gap in my discipleship and I want to fill it in with a, a small four-week class. And you can pick those. Maybe you and your, your, your wife, your husband, you wanna go together or you might say, hey, I'm interested here. I'm interested here. Th these are short-term classes meant to help us grow in a short-term fashion. So don't miss that. Uh, if you'd like to come for dinner, we do need you to sign up for that. Uh, and so you can do that with a card that's there in front of you. You can uh, do that through the, uh, the text that you'll get after the service uh, there. Uh, but every week, like I said, we got Taco Mama coming this week. Uh, so sign up for that if you'd like to come for our dinner. Uh, but even if you can't make dinner, be here for classes. Uh, we got eight weeks of Double Oak University starting up this Wednesday and you do not want to miss it. Uh, but now, grab your Bibles if you will, and let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1 is where we're going to be today. John chapter 15, verse 1, as we kick off a brand new sermon series. Uh, Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hopefully you got a copy of God's Word there. If you don't, uh, maybe you got a device, and if not, maybe you can look on with somebody next to you. Uh, I bet they'll share, right? Uh, smile at them, they'll share with you. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 1 is where we're going to be. And, and we're going to be going through something that, honestly, uh, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, there are those passages that you gravitate back to time and time again. Uh, and this is one of those passages that I've been looking at for almost two decades. Uh, and this is the joy of Scripture, uh, that you never really get to the end of it. 
Like even when you learn things, there, there are things that you really don't know the fullness of. God keeps bringing you back. And so I've read books uh, on this passage. I've studied it. I've preached multiple sermons on it. Uh, but I keep coming back to this because uh, in this passage, in John 15, verses 1 through 11, I believe God gives us really the secret, the, the, the pathway to spiritual joy. If you want to know, what am I supposed to do? How do I live the Christian life? That might seem daunting. You might say, Adam, I've tried. It doesn't seem to work. What Jesus does here in John 15 is he gives us this pathway, a workable, knowable pathway to spiritual joy. And we're going to spend the next few weeks really kind of breaking this down to kind of see what it actually looks like. Uh, But before we read it, a little bit of context. Uh, We are in the final discourse before the crucifixion. Uh, We've actually been here for the past few weeks uh, in different sections, but this is the night before Jesus dies, and he knows this. He knows that after today, he's not going to be with his disciples physically anymore. He will die, he will rise again, he will appear to his disciples briefly, and then he will ascend back into heaven. So the time of him being with the apostles physically is ending. So he's got a problem. How do I keep them following after me when they can't see me physically, when they can't hear me audibly? Because up till now, the disciples have experienced probably what all of us wish we could have experienced. Have you ever just really wanted to have Jesus in the flesh to walk around and like hang out with you? Wouldn't that just be easier? Like if you had an issue or a problem, would it be easier if you could actually go talk to Jesus and he could speak the answer back? Wouldn't that be just easier? Have you ever wanted to pray and, and instead of just praying, you could actually pray, God, what am I supposed to do? And all of a sudden, oh, thank you, thank you, right? And you got like a text answer, like, in, like words that like you got. Wouldn't that be great? When you're, when you're upset, wouldn't it be great if, if God could literally put, put physical arms around you and, and comfort you? Okay, that's where the disciples have been for three years, and that's ending. And Jesus says this terrible thing. He says, it's for your good that I go away. The apostle's like, no, it is not for our good. How could that be good? How could you leaving us be good? In what world is it good for you to leave us? And Jesus says, no, it's better that I go away. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to you, and I'm going to continue to work through you. You're gonna continue to live in me, but it will be different. So he doesn't leave his apostles with nothing. He doesn't just walk away. He tells them, this is what you are to do. And so uh, I want you to see if you can kind of pick it out. We're going to read uh, some of these verses in John 15, and I want to see if you can kind of figure out what it is. It, it shouldn't be too hard, but let's start in, in verse 1. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. That's like a gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's stop right there. 
All right, so, so do you see it? If you had to pick out, what is Jesus telling them to do? The one thing he's asking them to do, what is he asking them to do? He, they are to abide in me. Yeah, he says, abide in me, 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 abide in me. He says the word abide nine times in 11 verses. He's making a point. He says, don't forget this. If you guys forget everything, don't forget this. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. He says, this is the key. This is the pathway. But, but that begs a question then. All right, that's awesome, Adam. But what does the word abide mean? Because that's just not a word that we use very often, is it? I, I don't say that word very often. Right? Let's go abide together. I, I never say that, right? You don't say that. No one says the word abide. So what does the word abide mean? Uh, well, you might have a different translation there. Uh, if you're in the NIV, it actually doesn't say the word abide. It has a different word. Anybody get NIV? What does it say there? It says remain, right? And so it'll say remain in me, remain in me. But I'm, I'm not really happy with that translation, uh, not because it's wrong, uh, but because it just doesn't kind of convey the, the oomph, the, the message of this word. In English, the word literally means to remain or to stay. That's what the word abide means. Uh, but in English, that seems very passive, right? Just to remain, right? To stay somewhere. Uh, but, but that's not the, the, the emphasis here. This word abide is an active word. Uh, there's a lot of energy. There's activity attached to it. Uh, imagine if somebody said this, hey, you need to stay in school. You really need to stay in school. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean just show up for class. It means stay in the process, do your homework, go to every class, be a part, make good grades. Staying in school is an active process. Imagine somebody said, hey, you need to stay on the team. You need to stay on the team. Well, that doesn't mean just showing up physically. It means be here, practice, work with your teammates, be a part, do your job, like be a part. There's activity in this word. And so I think it's better to say we are to abide in him. We are to abide in him. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna be going places. You gotta go there with me. I'm gonna be doing things. You gotta do them with me. I'm involved in things. You gotta be involved in this with me. I want you to abide in me. If you live in my spirit, if you walk in me, listen, this is going to be the path of spiritual growth. He gives us this metaphor here, the vine and the branches. And even that's a little bit misleading. When you hear vine, don't think kudzu. That's what I think of here in the South, right? Uh, I mean, that's, that's the most, that's the vine I think of first. Uh, this, is, this is ancient Near East, okay? You're thinking orchard vine. So think more like tree trunk and branches, right? So you've got a, a trunk and a branch, right? The vine and the branch. Uh, and so Jesus says, I'm, I'm the base, I'm the root, I'm the trunk. You guys are the branches. Your job is not to bear fruit. Did you catch that? He did not command you to say, you go and bear fruit. He said, no, the command is abide. Abide, abide, abide. And if you abide, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna bear fruit. We sometimes get that backwards. We're, we're, we're trying to create the fruit. We're trying to create the results. It's, you cannot do that. Your job is to abide in me. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. All right, well, now we have a different question. All right, I understand what abide means. How do you do that? What does that actually mean, Adam, to stay on the team, to stay involved? How do we do this? And Jesus does this great thing where instead of just telling them what to do, he shows it to them. He gives them an example, and the example is himself. He says, this is what I have been doing. And in verses 9 through 11, he's going to give us a three-step process. 
a three-step process of how this actually works out, right? So let's read the next three verses and, and see what he says there. Verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my father's commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In verses 9, 10, and 11, he gives us this three-step process of how to actually flesh this out, how to actually make this work. And so we're going we're to look at all of this in turn. Okay, so step number one is going to be abide. We're going to say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. That was actually really good, but we're going to try it again. There's going to be a lot of audience participation today. All right, so you're going to have to you know, like, get loose, all right? Just buckle up. It's going to be a different kind of morning, right? All right, so count of three. One, two, three. All right, so step number one is to abide. Look at verse nine and notice what he says here. He says, just as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It all starts with the love of the father. It all starts with the love of the Father. He says, before I do anything, this starts with the fact that the Father loves me. Before Jesus does anything, he says, I am abiding in the love that the Father has for me. Now, look, I know we're delving into the Trinity here, right? Because he said, but he is God. Yes, but we believe in one God in three persons. We don't believe in three gods, but he's also one God in three persons. And so there's a little bit of a mystery here. But Jesus, the son, is saying, listen, I abide in the love of my father. The thing that drives me, the thing that grounds me is I am living in, abiding in the love of my father. I want you to think about that for just a second, Think about what that love might feel like. Let's try to describe it. I want you to think for just a moment, uh, what are some words that might describe the love of the Father for his Son? If you had to describe the love of God the Father for God the Son, what are some words that would describe it? What are some adjectives that would describe the love of the Father for the Son? Somebody give me one. Unconditional, love it. What else? Complete, I like it. Eternal, come on. What's next? Passionate. Passionate, come on, Jeff. Yes. What else? How about amazing? How about incredible? How about overwhelming? How about cosmic in scope? This is an unconditional, eternal, overwhelming, amazing love that the Father lavishes upon his son. It is a perfect, complete love from the Father to the Son. Which is why, by the way, you always see Jesus running off to pray. Is it ever weirded anybody out, by the way? How come Jesus has to pray? He's God. Isn't he fine? He's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not repenting. Why does he have to pray? Because he is living in the love of his Father. You will always find Jesus running off to pray, getting up before everybody else to pray, staying up all night to pray. Why? Because he is living in, abiding in the love of the Father. So it all starts in the love of the Father. Step number one was what? Abide, ready. Step number two comes in verse 10. So look at verse 10 and notice what it says here. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All right, step number one was what? Step number two is obey. And we're gonna say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Obey. That was really good. I'm very excited about obedience. All right, so listen, it all starts with the love of the Father. 
All right, so I live in the love of the Father. I, he is dwelling in the love of the Father. And because he is doing this, he therefore obeys. Now look, this is easy for Jesus, but not for the reason that you're thinking of. You might think it was easy for Jesus to obey the Father. That's actually not true. It was actually harder for him than almost anybody else, considering the level of opposition that he had. He faced more trouble trying to obey than any of us ever have on our worst day. But for Jesus, it is easy. Do you know why? Because he knows his Father loves him. He's abiding in the love of the Father. Listen, my Father loves me, so whatever he tells me to do is the right thing to do. Whatever he tells me to do is not just right, it's for my good. Whatever he's telling me to do is gonna be the best thing for me. I know that he loves me. I know that he cares for me. And so whatever he asks me to do, even if I don't understand it, I know it's going to be the best for everyone, including me, because my father loves me so much, therefore I obey. So Jesus always lives in perfect obedience which is why you see this in all the scriptures. Jesus keeps saying things like this. I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. I don't go anywhere except where the Father tells me to go. He abides in the Father, but therefore he obeys him. He does what he says because this is the pathway to life. Okay, so step number one was what? Step number one was what? Step number two was what? Step number three comes in verse 11. Look at what it says here. It says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. So step number three is in joy. Let's say that on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. All right, very good. All right, look, it all starts with the love of the Father. So Jesus abides in the love of the Father. He is living in the love of the Father. Therefore, he obeys. And all that he actively does, he obeys. The result of that is joy. The result of a life lived in abiding and obedience is joy. Jesus is living in this incredible joy. He says, I, I want my joy to be in you. And if my joy got in you, it would overflow in your life. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus is not interested in giving us a little bit of life or a snippet of life or a, a taste of life. He says, no, when you live in me, I have the fullness of joy in me. Which begs the question, is joy really one of the attributes you associate most with Jesus Christ? Think about that. If you had to describe God to somebody else, specifically Jesus Christ, if you had to describe Jesus to somebody else and you said, name his top five attributes, what immediately comes to your mind? I imagine it'd be his wisdom. It'd be his love. It'd be his power. It'd be his righteousness. How many of you would instantly say, it was his joy? Some of you are going, that didn't even crack the top five. Why is that? How is it that when we think about Jesus, joy doesn't come screaming to the top? For some of us, even when you think about Jesus, he's not this joyous person. He's always kind of, hmm. He's frumpy. He's running around, doling out platitudes and King's English at people, right? He's not even like a real person. Listen, Jesus says, I had the fullness of joy in me. Do you ever wonder why the prostitutes and the tax collectors kept hanging out with Jesus? It wasn't because he partied like them. How come the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the sinners flocked to Jesus? They said, he's got the real thing. The thing that we keep chasing that we can't fully find in all our debauchery, he's got the real thing. He's got life in himself. 
He's got the fullness of joy in himself. This is what Jesus experiences. He says, I have the fullness of joy. Guys, this is the end result of a life lived in the Lord. The end result of a life lived in the Lord is joy. This is where he wants us to be. He wants to get us to joy. He is inviting us into joy. The question is, will we walk this path with him? Will we walk the same path? Will we do what Jesus has asked us to do? Because if we do, we will find ourselves living in the fullness of the joy of God himself. This is a desire for every single one of us. Not just the seminarians, not just the missionaries, not just people who've read the Bible 18 times. For you as a believer, he wants to get you to a place of joy because it is in Jesus Christ and he wants to put that in you and I as well. So the question I want to ask you this morning, and really we're going to explore it for the next month or so, is, is, is where you are on this journey. Now, some of you are looking at the screens and going, well, Adam, you skipped a step. And you're right, but it ain't the one you're thinking it is. Uh, here's the deal. All of us are on this journey somewhere. All of us are somewhere on this journey. It, just generally in your spiritual life, we're all somewhere on this journey. And here's my question. What's it going to take for you to take one step closer to the joy? What's it going to take to move from where you are right now into the joy that Jesus is inviting you into? What would it take to walk this path and actually begin to live in the joy of Jesus Christ? What would that look like for you? And so I want to walk back through all of these and I want to begin to kind of look at what this means. What would this look like in our life? Okay, so step number one was what? Step number one was what? All right, look back at verse nine and notice what it says here. He says, just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. All right, we already know that Jesus is living in the love of his Father, right? But notice these words, like really drink them in. He says, just as the Father loves me, that's how I love you. That is world shaking in its consequence. Did you catch it? In the exact same way that the Father loves the Son, that is the magnitude of how Jesus Christ loves you. Not somebody else, you. So think back to all those words we just used a couple minutes ago. Words like complete and unconditional and overwhelming and eternal and passionate cosmic in its scope. Do you realize that God doesn't reserve that kind of love just for his best and brightest? That is the exact kind of love he has right now at this moment for you. If you and I would drink that in, it would explode our hearts with joy. If we would actually abide in the love of our Father, it would explode our lives with joy. It all starts with the love of the Father. Before we ever get to obedience, it all starts with the abiding. We have to learn to drink this in, to spend time with him, to grow in him. He said, Adam, then how do I do that? You literally just get to know him. 
I, I want to read the Bible, not to check off a box or to say that I did or just to get smarter, but because I want to experience this, this God who loves me. I want to read the words of Jesus Christ because the Spirit is in me and He right now is speaking to me. He wants me to know Him at an ever-deepening level. And so I want to pray. I want to make time to spend with Him in the same way that Jesus would, would run off by Himself to pray, would find times to pray, just clamor for times to pray. We ought to be looking for times to abide in Jesus Christ, to live in His love, to recognize that even though I, I think I am, I'd understand it, it is so much wider and longer and higher and deeper than I could ever even possibly comprehend when you begin to abide in that kind of love actively, specifically, intentionally, this is what begins to move you along the process. Some of us think that it's just gonna, it's gonna happen to you, right? You're gonna come into worship service, it's gonna happen, right? You're just gonna, whoa! And you're just gonna all of a sudden just love everything. It, it doesn't work like that. You, you gotta choose it. I choose to abide. I choose to put myself in a place to be with the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to get to know the Lord. I have to learn to abide. I wonder if some of you, God is calling you to say, hey, it's time to stop coasting. It's time to stop waiting. It's time to start being intentional. To say, I, I'm, before I even get to obedience, hey, I wanna live in Jesus Christ. I wanna know him more than I ever have before. It all starts, not with our love or what we do, it all starts with the love of the Father. Step number one was what? Okay, step number two was what? Look at verse 10. He says, look, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All right, it all starts with the love of the Father. But just like Jesus, if we believe that God loves us, then why would we not obey him? Why would we not do what he says? Why would we not trust him? And so if we're going to abide, then we ought to naturally then obey. Now look, there's many of us in this room uh, who are trying to do that, right? You say, Adam, I'm struggling with this. I'm not perfect. I got areas of temptation. I got areas of weakness, but I'm working on that. And, and look, I fail sometimes, but the Lord picks me up and I, I'm trying, but I'm working on this in, in the power of the Spirit, which is great. But before I can really talk about this group of people and what we're doing, I need to talk to a different group of us in the room because there's a different group of us here right now. And all of us have been a part of this group at some time in our lives, and all of us will be a part of this group again at some other part in our lives. But there's a group of people in, right here in this room, even though you came to church on a Sunday morning, who you are not wrestling with sin. You're not struggling with sin. You're purposely giving into it. You don't struggle. You know it's wrong, and you do not care, and you just do it anyway. Okay, that's not this. That's not step two. That is actually a different place. You're actually out of the process. You have short-circuited the process. You have left the process. You are, wait, don't get freaked out. You're way over here. Okay, this is the land of disobedience, all right? This is what, you, it's darker over here. Do you notice that? You have left the process because you are making a conscious choice to say, I know what God says, and I'm just not going to do it. Can I talk to you for just a moment? How do you think this is gonna work out? Like seriously, like, like, like let's be honest for a moment. Do you honestly think you have outsmarted God? Do you honestly think you have gamed the system where you can steal grace and salvation and still just run headlong into sin and you're not going to avoid the death and destruction that always comes with it? That you somehow are the exception to the rule that says the wages of sin is death. What are we talking about? We know what we're talking about. 
We're talking about gossip. We're talking about malice. We're talking about selfishness. We're talking about vanity. We're talking about gluttony. We're talking about laziness. We're, we're talking about adultery. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about sexual morality. Things that we play around with and assume you can just get away from that. That you're just going to skip all the consequences of sin. Have you not read the scriptures where it says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Do you honestly think you're going to get away with it? You were living in the land of disobedience. Time out. Time out. Let's call a sermon. Time out. Okay? Time out. Time out. He got angry. He did. Here's the deal. Um, Every single thing I just said is true. And for some of you, you need to wake up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Just stop skipping around on it. But, but when you and I find ourselves in a place like this, and remember, we're all going to find ourselves in a place like this sooner or later. We bounce in and out of the land of disobedience a lot. If you aren't here now, you've been here, you might be here later. But for those of you here now, here's the thing. There's a choice to be made. What are you going to do when you find yourself in a place of repentance? Because when you hear things like what I just said to you, and remember, I wouldn't back off what I just said an inch. But when you hear it, sometimes we can make a mistake. Because you can hear that and you go, you know what, Adam, you're right. You're right. I needed to hear this. I'm so glad I came to I needed to hear this. But, but God, I'm sorry. You're right. I, I, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm, I'm wrong. I get it. I'm wrong. But you know what, God? Today's the day. I'm turning over a new leaf. We're doing something different. God, I get it now. I obey you. I'm going to follow after you. So no more of that. I'm tired of the land of disobedience. I am going to obey you. I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to do the right things. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I'm going to follow after you with all of my heart. I will obey you. I have just made a crucial mistake. What did I do? What did I do? I skipped a step. Instead of going back to abiding, I ran right around it and I went straight to obedience as if I could fix it. In church land, this process, that walk that I just took, it has a name. It's called rededication. You ever heard that before? I've rededicated my life. Here's the problem with rededication. It's not biblical. I dare you. Show it to me in Scripture. It's not there. You don't have rededication in Scripture. Here's the problem with rededication. Rededication is what I do. It's how I fix myself. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do it right. And for all of us who have tried to rededicate before, and I have just like you have, what happens? You do great for a time, and just like all the, the New Year's resolutions that we've already abandoned, you fail. And you end up back in the land of disobedience. And then you try harder. And then you fail. And you go back to the land of disobedience. And you and I just end up on this roller coaster trying to follow the Lord. And we never get anywhere. And we never get to the joy. Because rededication doesn't work. Here's the thing. When you and I find ourselves in the land of disobedience, Jesus is asking something different. When he convicts us and shows us that what we are doing is wrong, He asks us for a different R word. He says, I don't want you to rededicate. I want you to repent. Now, repentance is very biblical. But repentance is much harder. Because repentance requires me to do this. Instead of going to obedience and trying to make myself feel better that I'm trying really hard, I simply have to come back to abide and I have to basically just get in front of Jesus and admit, Jesus, I did this again and I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I don't have an excuse and I cannot fix myself.
And that is terrible because it crushes our pride. We hate that. But it is the only way path. It's the only way back into joy. When was the last time you went to the Lord and instead of telling him all the ways you were gonna change and all the ways you were gonna fix it and all the ways you were gonna get better, you just went to the Lord and just said, I'm sorry and I'm wrong and I need help. Please help me because you're the only one who can. I've tried to fix it and I can't. I I can't do it. God, you've gotta help me. I cannot do it. Will you help me? And if you will come back to the person of Jesus Christ and you'll simply abide in him and dwell in him and live in him and, and listen to him, he will pick you up and he will clean you up. He'll strengthen you. He will empower you. He will help you. And as you abide in Christ again and you grow in strength and honesty and, and living in the power of the spirit, then and only then do you move to step two into obedience. But here's the great thing. When you and I are abiding, Jesus didn't say, okay, you've been abiding, all right? You've got to obey. You ready? All right, get over there. Don't screw it up this time, right? Let's see if you can last a little bit longer. Get over there and send you on into step number two. He doesn't do that. Instead, he does something great. When you start with abiding, he says this, hey, how about I help you obey? Wouldn't that be easier? What if I helped you obey? How about I go with you? How about I empower you to help change? How about I empower you to obey? How about I give you the strength and the courage to obey? You can't obey on your own, but in my spirit, you can. What if you just continued to abide in me and I helped you to obey? Well, that is much easier. Jesus says, I obey my Father's commandments and I'm living in you. I can help you with this. Why do you and I keep trying to obey in our own power? If you start with the abiding, it helps with the obedience. He says, get to know me, dwell in me, live in my love, and then let me help you because Jesus will routinely ask us to do things that are impossible, will he not? He will. Walking in faith is terrifying. He will constantly ask us to do things that we cannot do on our own, which is why we shouldn't. But if we abide in him, then we can obey him. And when we obey him, then we finally get to the final step. Step number one was what? Step number two is what? Step number three is? Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When you and I walk the path, we we, we leave the land of disobedience by, by repenting. We begin to abide in the Lord. We live in his love. We get to know him. We, we, we honor him, worship him, live in him. He helps us to obey. The natural result of that is going to be joy in our lives. This is actually the telltale sign that you're on the right track. Because look, you don't have to wait until the end of your life to experience the joy. Isn't that great? He doesn't wait until you try this for 20 years and then begin to give you glimmers of joy. It's not like working out. We have to work out for like six years before you see results, Right? Does it feel like that to anybody else, right? He says, no, you can, if you do this, you can have the joy early. I will give you glimpses of that joy early, and you need to see that. Hear me. Listen, if you have zero joy in following Jesus Christ, something is seriously wrong spiritually. Listen to that. If you have zero joy in following Jesus Christ, that ought to be a blaring siren that something is seriously wrong in your life spiritually. Go back and see where I am. You're not here. Where have I missed a step in this process? Because if you find yourself here, you're going to experience joy. Is that, Adam, what does that even look like? Remember, Jesus was not always happy, but he was joyful. 
His life was not always perfect. It wasn't, but he was joyful. When you live in Christ, you end up with this joy that can't be taken away from you. Uh, If you've ever been on a mission trip, you've tasted some of this, haven't you? Some of you guys have been on a mission trip uh, with us before. We're actually going to be talking about them soon. We've got more coming up this summer. I hope that you'll go. Uh, but if you've ever been on a mission trip before, it's a weird thing uh, because when you go on a mission trip, it's, it's work, right? If you've been to uh, Ensenada or Romania or, or over the Choctaw Reservation, it's work. And you're burning vacation time to do this. So you're not vacating. You're working. You get up early. You go to bed late. You will not be sleeping in nice accommodations. Five star it ain't, Okay. You're going to be sleeping in terrible accommodations. The food's not always great. You're going to work a ton. And then when you get back, you're not rested from your vacation because you didn't vacate. You were on a mission trip all week. You come back exhausted, not rested. And then people keep saying, when can I go next year? Why? So you go, Adam, you're a terrible salesman for mission trips. This is terrible. <laughs> you're terrible. Can, can somebody else do this? Seriously. But anybody who's been on those mission trips will tell you why. Because they come back, they might be tired physically, but inside, they are filled with joy. There's a joy in watching the Lord move through you. It's a joy in watching God move in new places. He said, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You don't have to be happy, but you can have joy. You don't have to wait 10 years to get it. Did you know that this is where Jesus wants you to be? This is what he's offering to you if you will walk the path. And so we're gonna take the next few weeks to walk through each one of these steps to really kind of delve in because it takes work. This is practice. We gotta learn this. But again, I'll ask you this morning, so where are you today? If God said you need to take one step forward today, what would your step be? Because for some of you, you're living in the land of disobedience and it's time to get honest and repent. Stop making promises you can't keep. Start acknowledging that God's God and you're not. That he's right and you're wrong. That he loves you and that his way is better. And just admit, I'm wrong. Because listen, when the prodigal son comes home, the father's not sitting there with his arms crossed. So your chores had not been done for two years. Get out in the back and then we'll talk. When the prodigal son comes home, there's a father with open arms who rushes to greet you, who throws his arms around you, kisses you, and throws you a party and says, my son, my daughter was dead and is alive again. She's lost and is now found. Come home, Repent. Admit it and let the Lord heal you. Don't try to fix it. Let him fix you. Delve into him. Listen to him. Learn of him. Grow in him. Maybe for you, it's not that step to repent. You need to abide. You've just been coasting on spiritual growth from five years ago. And it's time to delve in, to get out of the shallows and get into the deep end of what God is doing. He's inviting you into a deeper relationship with himself than you've ever been before. That means I need to get into his word. I need to get into prayer. I need to make this time for him. I gotta learn how to abide. Or maybe you say, no, for me, it's obeying. I know what God's asking me to do, but it was scary and I just don't know if I can do it. Maybe you need to recognize, hey, by yourself, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Let the Lord move through you and in him you can obey and you can see this incredible obedience, this, this fruit. And as you do so, you will find yourself experiencing joy. And if you're here, why would you not give praise and thanks like we did earlier? I say, God, thank you that though I am not perfect and I do not deserve it, you have given me a joy that has made my life full. God wants every single one of us here. What do you need to do? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment.
and heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I wonder what the Lord might be telling you this morning. What he might be saying. What the Spirit might be speaking to you. This might be your first time back to church in a while. Welcome. But the Lord hadn't forgotten about you and he might be throwing you in the deep end early and say, hey, let's get to work. He loves you. He never stopped. Maybe today we need to just admit that, that for whatever reason we invented as to why our sin was okay, let's just own up to the fact that we were wrong. Join the club. We're all wrong. We've all been wrong. We'll be wrong again. So if that's you, why right now, just can you repent and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry and I can't fix it. I would if I could, but I can't. I just need your help, Jesus. And receive the love of Jesus Christ anew. Repent. If you've just been coasting in your life and you're not abiding, maybe today's the day you say, Jesus, I choose to abide in you, to delve in, to make spending time with you a priority. Not just waiting on something to happen, but I'm gonna chase after you like you chase after me. I'm ready to know you in a deeper way. Invite him, say, God, I wanna know you better than I ever have. I dare you to pray it. Oh, I dare you. I beg you, pray that prayer and mean it. God, I wanna know you more than I ever have. Pray that prayer, see what he will do. Maybe you need to obey. He said, I'm scared. He's asking me to do something hard and it's scary. Well, I, it's always scary, but with him, it's not as scary. What if today you just said, Jesus, if you'll help me, I'll do it. Jesus, if you'll, if you'll walk with me, I'll do it. If you'll help me, I'll do it and, and do it. If you begin to experience this joy, just lift that up to him. So I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing a song of worship and you can respond back in prayer and singing. Maybe you wanna get on your knees at your chair. You wanna come kneel at this altar. I'll be down here. If you wanna pray with me, I'd be happy to pray with you. But let's all make the choice to move one step closer today. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you don't disqualify us when we get it wrong. But you continually invite us forward. And I pray that you would, you take all of us, Lord, forward, deeper into you, further up and further in, that we might know you better than we ever have before. So God, move in each and every one of us. We love you, we trust you, we need you from wherever we are. Help us move forward. In the name of Jesus Christ.